I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 11 of the Parenting Aces podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This week, we are doing another in our series on junior tennis check what's next. We have as our guest, Allie McRae, who is getting ready to start her sophomore year of college. And she has quite an interesting story to tell about her freshman year experience and what she's expecting heading into her second year. For those of you listening to the podcast, just a quick reminder that we also have a video version available on ParentingAces.com and on our YouTube channel. So if you like watching instead of listening, be sure and check those out. Also, if you haven't already, we would love for you to look into becoming an annual member of Parenting Aces, which includes two one-hour consults with me to discuss whatever issues or questions or concerns you have about your child's junior tennis journey and college recruiting. So be sure to check that out. And in the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with college student Allie McRae. Hey, Allie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's nice to see your face again. We've only met on Zoom um, now two times, but uh, certainly very nice to see you. Yes, I'm super happy to be here today. Um, You know, when I first contacted you about just kind of my experience overall, it was so nice to be able to talk about it with someone who kind of understands whose son has gone through the same similar experience. So it was nice to kind of have someone that that knew what I was going through. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like a lot of times on Parenting Aces, we, we've been very focused on the boy side of things because I do have a son that was my tennis player, but it's going to be, I think, enlightening for parents and for coaches, junior coaches as well, to hear the girl side of things and to understand that the issues that I've brought up and discussed over the past few episodes pertain to the girl side too, not just to the boy side. So I'm really excited for our audience to get to hear your story and understand some of the challenges and some of the really positives that have come out of your tennis experience. So let's start, Allie, by having you just give us a little bit of your background in tennis. How did you get started? Um, Where did you train? How did you go through recruiting? That's a great question. So I'm originally from Marietta, Georgia, um, and I grew up kind of doing all sports. I was like a triple, quadruple sport athlete. I wanted to try everything and I wanted to be good at everything. But once you get to a certain age, you kind of have to pick. So my two main sports as I got older, around 12, were soccer and tennis. And um, I actually was not very good at tennis. Tennis was actually the sport that I wasn't good at. Soccer was the sport that I was much better at. But I was like, you know what? I've been playing soccer since I was five. I started tennis at like seven. You know, soccer's just kind of boring. Soccer's been my whole life because that was my primary sport. So when I picked tennis, it was really just to kind of try something new. And I, it it just kind of became one of those things that I just took and ran with, and there was no going back from there. So that's kind of how I got started into tennis. Um, I would say overall, considering that I did just commit to go play, um, or I played this past year, 
at the University of Missouri. Um, it's interesting because I was never really good through the 16s and the 18s, hmm. which a lot of people are really confused about because that's the time you get recruited, right? But sure. my primary time was probably like in, in the 12s and 14s because I was much bigger than everyone. I was much stronger than everyone. I can just hit the ball past everybody. So I think that gave me an early on um, excitement for tennis because I was just killing everyone. (laughs) So that was exciting. But then moving fast forward to like the 16s and 18s, I actually um, tore my patella tendon. So I was out for a little bit and kind of coming back from that was really mental for me. So I kind of just needed college coaches to take a chance on me, quite honestly, because I didn't have a whole lot of results. The results that I had weren't very good. And I knew that. So obviously, every time I stepped on the court, I was so nervous. But um, it ended up working out. And in the November of my senior year, I got in contact with um, Chris Wooten, the the current coach and the coach that recruited me at the University of Missouri and actually ended up committing there in December of, I guess that's 2020, 2020. Your, and then your senior, senior year. Senior year yes. It was mm-hmm. 2020. And then, um, I just finished there. My, so my whole freshman year was there, my 2021 through, um, 2022 season. Got it. And so did your family play tennis? Like how did you get introduced to tennis? Was it's it just so something funny. your friends were playing? It literally, there was a girl in my neighborhood who played and I was like, eh, why not? I'll try it. And I played basketball and I swam and I'd run track and I had played soccer and all these different things. So it was just kind of another thing to just add to the list, but my parents never played tennis. They knew nothing about tennis still to this day. I have to help my mom with scoring and she's watched a thousand of my tennis matches. So there is no tennis blood in our family, which I feel like is super different, especially coming from Georgia, because every girl or guy or whoever that I trained with or played against, I swear all of their parents played tennis or had so, or their siblings or some connection. And that was never the case for me. (laughs) So what kind of tennis parents did you have? Like, were they chill? Were they nervous? How did they handle your competitions? (laughs) So my mom was never really allowed to come to my tennis matches. She, um, (laughs) the business that she's in, she's very much like a motivational speaker. That's kind of what she does, like wrapped into her job. So a lot of that was kind of overwhelming for me. I did a lot better when I was calmer walking onto the court rather than like super amped up and excited and everything like that. I would get over, I would overplay. So for her, she was never really, she was always working first. I'm not just going to say that I didn't invite her because I did, but there was a lot of times that my dad and I just kind of got into a routine of always going together Mm -hmm. that it just would make me nervous. So she didn't come a whole lot, but my dad, um, at first I would say it was a little bit like, I mean, he played football in college, so he's very competitive by nature he would, he, he was a little bit intense. There would be sometimes like, I actually remember at 16 Southerns, um, in Arkansas, he was standing on top of the hill and I could not make a ball in the court. And he just, I mean, I looked up and he was on top of this hill. He threw his hat down and just walked away. And I was like, Oh no, a long car ride home. But then after we got in the car, everything was much better. And we talked it out, but it's just, I think 
the nerves of watching competition makes him so much more competitive and nervous for me, probably. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I've been out at national hard courts all week. Um, We're recording this on the Friday before final weekend. And I met the 16s and 18s in San Diego. And um, a lot of moms are there with their daughters, not as many dads this year, which is interesting. You know, it's different every year. So it's always fun to see like, who's the primary tennis parent, you know, who's the one traveling. Some people have both. Like how cool is that to have both of your parents come out? Like that's insane. But No, I was typically, me and my dad took all the long road trips together. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you, you know, by your own admission, your ranking rating wasn't at a level where you felt you were going to be a top recruit going into your recruiting process. So how did you get on the radar of the college coaches? What steps did you take to get them to want to take that chance on you? Yeah, so... I had to really be willing and very persistent about emailing coaches. I mean, I would just email honestly any coach, even if I wasn't super interested in the school or in the back of my mind at first wasn't interested in the school. Um, I would just email them anyways. Actually, Missouri was not on my radar at all. I did not want to go there. I'm like, what is in the middle of Missouri? I'm not doing that. But um, (laughs) I also had to make a video. That was a big thing for me because people weren't going to see my results because Mm -hmm. I was injured. So I had to make a video so that they could see that I could actually play. Um, So my coaches ended up helping me with that. And then a lot of it, honestly, I feel like college tennis today is so much about connections. Mm -hmm. If you have a, if you have a, a junior coach that knows five or six college coaches, have them reach out. I mean, college coaches will drive down to wherever and watch you play. It's not unheard of to, you can't obviously try out at the site because that's against NCAA rules, but they can come and watch you and all this, all these other different things, just kind of like using your resources. That's what got me into Missouri. Okay. And so you got to Missouri, you by your admission was not your first choice, not even really on your radar. What made you ultimately choose to go there? So I actually went on um, a visit right after I was recruited. It was kind of in the middle of COVID. So I couldn't go on like an actual visit, but I Mm -hmm. went um, like by myself with my dad and we went up there and I talked to one of the girls previously and she kind of took me around campus. And honestly, I just clicked with the girls right from the start. That was probably the biggest thing. Um, I knew that going somewhere super far from home was going to be a struggle for me because I am very much a homebody. So I knew that I needed to have kind of a support system that I felt really comfortable with. Um, and just from right from the get go, that's exactly how I felt. I mean, I, I walked in and all the girls were like, oh, we're going to dinner and we're doing this and we're doing that. And you can come over after. And I was like, OK, yep, this is the place for sure. Um, and the campus was beautiful. And they had like my major and everything I was looking for. And I was like, you know what? Why not? We'll go to Missouri. So what was your major? What what did you go in learning? I went into Missouri, um, a sports journalism major. They actually have the number one journalism school in the country. Interestingly enough, I did not know that either. But so when I kind of found that out, I was like, oh, that's kind of a bonus, you know? 
So I went in doing like sports journalism, sports broadcasting. Very cool. So you graduate high school, you get to Mizzou as a freshman, move in. Walk us through your freshman year experience. Yeah, so I'm not going to lie. My my experience at Mizzou was not great. And I don't think it was great for a lot of my counterparts at all. But for me specifically, I kind of got there having this expectation that I was going to go in and be developed. I was going to be, yeah, I probably wouldn't play my freshman year, maybe not even my sophomore year, but I was going to go in and I was going to work my heart, my heart out. And I was going to be developed through my coaches and playing with my teammates and our weightlifting program and our conditioning program and all these different things. And did the coaches tell you that or did you? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I probably should have made that a little bit clearer. But yes, so I was told when I was being recruited that obviously my results aren't up to speed to where they need to be, but that he had full faith that he would be able to develop me coming in. And and I was like, great, this is exactly what I want. I'm naturally a hard worker. So I'm going to come in and work my butt off and hope for the best, right? This is my dream. So getting there, that's kind of what I was expecting. There was no part of me that wasn't expecting to work hard. I mean, I was going in there knowing I was going to be on court for four hours a day, plus strength and conditioning and whatever else I needed to do. Um, and can I, I got- can I just ask, sorry, I keep interrupting you, but, um, <laughs> were you a scholarship athlete at the school? I was not at the university okay. of Missouri. I committed a little bit later and I was not a scholarship athlete. So I was a walk-on and we had, technically we had four walk-ons and I was one of the four. Okay. Um, so that was also part of the deal is that he told me when I was being recruited that I could work, work my way up into the lineup. And if I got into the lineup, I would get a scholarship. No questions asked. And, and just to clarify, Mizzou is a division one university. It's part of the sec. Correct. Mizzou sometimes gets forgotten, but it is a part of the sec. It's a power five school. Um, we play Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, all those big schools. So it's a very, it's a, it's a really big conference and it's super tough, but, um, when I, when I got there, I was expecting to work hard. Obviously you're in the SEC. You have to, there's no, there's, there's no way around it. But when I realized that opportunities as I was going to practice and asking for more individual time and asking for more court time, the opportunities were slowly taken away. And what reason were you given for that? We, we didn't get a reason. So it wasn't just you. No, say we. Okay. Yes. So it was actually a few of us. Um, There was a few scholarship players, about two that had the same two or three. If you weren't, let's just put it this way. If you were in the top one, two or three, you weren't getting extra time. Okay. So I was just kind of confused because I, I was under the impression going in, I'm going to work hard. Of course, they're going to want someone that works hard. You grew up your whole life hearing that the harder you work, the more opportunities you're going to get, right? Right. But going in and having that mindset and then getting there and realizing 
that mindset not to be true. It's like the first time ever in my life that that mindset hasn't worked out. Mm. So I was so confused. But as I, as the year continued and more and more interesting experiences began to happen and opportunities were taken away from not just me and not just non-scholarship players, but scholarship players as well, you began to think, I'm just a really small fish in a massive pond. And I hate to say it, but I am just an athlete to them. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a business. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care how hurt you are emotionally, mentally, physically. It doesn't matter to them. They care about winning. And so I think that when that hit me, I was like, oh no, <laughs> we are not in the right place here. Um, and I had other friends that were experiencing this as well, which honestly, looking back, I'm grateful for because if I had gone through that and it would have just been me, I would have been, I would have still probably to this day thought it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say you had other friends going through it, other friends at Mizzou or friends at other schools as well? So actually now that I'm out of it, both, but in the current time, it was my teammates mm-hmm. on the team that were experiencing the same thing, just opportunity after opportunity getting taken away and being told one thing, but then actions by a coach looking another And everyone just gets really confused and communication on the team just plummets. Nobody can trust anyone and clearly nobody can trust the coach. And that's the biggest problem because your coach is supposed to be your leader. He's supposed to set the dynamic for the team. So we just had, I'm not going to lie, we had a crazy year full of mistrust and just poor communication. And on a team, you can't have that. Right. So it was interesting. Um, and I could go on and on about different experiences. So if you have specific questions, you can go ahead and ask. Well, I do. I So first of all, I want to say I looked at last year's roster and then I just looked at this year's roster and there's some names missing. So um, just to clarify, you are not returning to Mizzou for the 22-23 school year. You are Correct transferring to Mercer. And we can talk about that in in a few minutes. Um, But there are other players that were on your team last year also who are not returning to Mizzou. So you weren't an isolated incident. This seems to be something cultural on the team. And um, so I think that's important to point out because a lot of times We hear stories like yours and we think, well, there's something wrong with this kid that they weren't able to, you know, pull their act together and do what was required of them. And sometimes that's absolutely true. But other times it's not the fault of the players or not solely the fault of the players. Um, And I'm I'm sure looking back and, and we can get into this. You know, there are, I'm sure, instances where when you reflect back, you can say, oh, well, maybe if I had handled this this way instead of that way, 
something different would have happened. And, and whether that was a recruiting decision, whether that was questions that maybe you should have asked and didn't during the recruiting process or due diligence that should have taken place. But regardless of all that, when a coach tells you, you come play for me and these are the things that are going to happen and I'm going to make sure that I take care of you and and fulfill the promises that I'm making to you. And then you get there and the reality is something very different. It's incredibly disappointing. It's disheartening. It's disruptive. Um, and, you know, instead of being able to relax and enjoy your college tennis experience, and I don't mean relax, like, you know, not put the work in, but kind of exhale and understand that you've attained that goal that you set for yourself. You're now at a division one school. You, you got recruited there. The coach has interest in you. The coach has promised you development instead of all of that happening. Now there's a whole different kind of stress of why isn't this working out and what do I need to do to fix this? Right. And I will just go ahead and clarify that when I was being recruited by Chris, um, he was the interim head coach at Mizzou. So he wasn't specifically the permanent head coach. Um, and then after I was recruited, he got the head coaching job, signed the contract, signed a three-year contract. So my, when I was actually at physically at Mizzou playing, that was his first year as a head coach. Mm. So there was definitely a shift because if you looked at the roster, the girls that played for him, even the year before me, loved it. And they would tell me when I went on my visit how great it was and how it's such a team culture. But then you look at last year's roster when I was on the team and the girls that were telling me that quit. Interesting. So, so something happened. Right. There was a shift. And I think there was a shift of power. And I think there was a shift of ego a little bit um, where the plan had changed. Mm -hmm. I think he had a plan. And then as soon as that happened, the plan was something else. <laughs> um, so I will say, yes, I'm not returning back to Missouri. I made the decision to transfer. Um, basically everything bottled up, but, um, at what point did you make that decision at what point in the year? So my second semester going back and forth, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll stay. Maybe I'll go. And a lot of it had to do with the girls on the team. I mean, th they were my best friends. And to this day, we went through everything together, good, bad, the ugly. And I loved being around them. And so I think for me, I wanted to stay and I would have stayed and put up with him if my friends and my teammates didn't transfer. Um, but then as it got towards the end of the year, I think with about a month left, I went into the transfer portal and still was just kind of like, okay, well, if I go in, can I come back? I made sure to like talk to admit, um, the athletic department and mm -hmm. see like, can I come back out? Can I stay on the team? I just want to see. They were like, yes, that's completely fine. And then I realized all my friends weren't coming back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, then next year is going to be a completely different experience, right? Because yeah. you don't even have the people that you're going through it with. Um, so at that point, I was I made the decision I'm not coming back. My my roommate and my best friend coming out of there transfers to to Arkansas State. We had two scholarship players, um, one of which who was ranked eight in the country in doubles, actually quit before the season even started. Mm. Um, 
And then we had one girl who played five for us, who was just incredible. And she actually quit mid season. So that speaks volumes, to be honest, because if you're having girls that are on scholarship coming from foreign countries, right? Like they they rely on that scholarship to stay in the United States. Of course. And they're willing to sacrifice their happiness for that. I mean, honestly, we were all so proud of them for standing up for what they, I mean, it sucked because we were way worse without them. Don't get me wrong, but we were so happy that like they made that decision for themselves because it got to a point in our season where you had to, you had to make decisions for yourself. It was no longer about the team. You had to, you basically had to survive. So specifically what was going on? What, what caused all of this kind of feeling of this is not what I signed on for. My day-to-day existence is not what college is supposed to be about. Certainly not what college sport is supposed to be about. Can you give us some specific things that were happening? Yeah, of course. Um, A lot of it had to do, I'll give like the biggest thing probably first that just happened with, I mean, individual girls throughout the whole team had experiences with this where we would go into individual meetings with our coach and our assistant coach. And he would basically try to like start drama within the team. So for example, he told my roommate, you know, I know that you're struggling because you're friends with this person on the team. Hmm. And it's like, that's just too personal. There's no reason why you should be stating that. And for me, it was the same thing, you know, um, you know, you're struggling on the team because you're selfish and you've always been raised as a selfish person because you live in East Cobb. (laughs) And it's just little things like that where it just gets too personal. And then there was back and forth with other girls, you know, like you're mad at this person and I'm over it. And so this person, I mean, it's just like, honestly, This was coming out of the mouth of the coaches coach, the coach specifically, our assistant coach just kind of sat there. She didn't, she, she didn't really do too much, nor did she really have the power to do a whole lot, to be honest. So, but it was mainly coming from our coach. And then, so a lot of it was just kind of like stirring team culture, which Mm. is the whole opposite of what you should be doing. I mean, typically you think girls would start their, their own problems within the team culture, (laughs) but it was him. It was all these meetings. And I will say like a lot of it too, as the year went on, there was a lot of, and I can say this more. So I think coming from a girl's side, than like you were saying, the men's side, there is a lot of body image comparisons, which I'd always heard about in college, but I thought, Oh, that's never going to happen to me. Right. Like you're, I'm not going to experience that. Like that's, that's the, that's the fluke. You know, mm-hmm. and then you would go in there and it was very subtle, like telling you the way you should be eating when you're actually, according to the NCAA, you're not allowed to because you don't have those licensed dietitian, you know, credentials. Yeah, right. don't have the credentials. credentials. You don't have the credentials to do that. Um, so there was that in the nutrition plans were crazy. I mean, eat a hundred and 20 grams of protein a day and wake up at 3 a.m. to do it. And it's just like, what? Like, that just, what are we doing? Yeah. And then, you know, little things like, oh, well, you need to look like that person on the team. 
your body types like that person. And I want you to play tennis like that person, but to look like that person. Hmm. And it was just little things like that, that just consistently throughout the year. And I'll tell you, I actually, and I'll give this advice to anyone that's going into college right now. And is kind of worried about their experience in college and is worried about their experience. I wrote everything down because the truth of the matter is, is when I was going through it, I was kind of like, oh, like maybe that's not that bad. Like what he said, isn't that bad. And now that I'm out of it and I'm looking back, I'm like, I can't believe that happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I've got lists and lists and lists and it's just little things like that, you know, just it's not leading a team up. It's breaking people down and planting seeds of doubt, right? Planting seeds of doubt within yourself. First off in tennis, you have to have confidence to play tennis. There's no doubt about that. So if you don't, I mean, you're going to have a record of seven and 21, like we did. Right. It just shows. Um, so it was kind of little things like that throughout the season. Um, and I'll tell you before season in November, we barely touched a tennis ball because before up until uh, Thanksgiving break, because we were having constant meetings within a team mm-hmm. about things that were going on in closed door offices and what was being said about who and what and trying to clarify because things got so twisted and we actually lost so much time on court and in the weight room. I mean, we would have meetings for three hours and we wouldn't touch a tennis ball. We wouldn't go to the weight room. And that would just be our day, just full of tears and drama. And it's just not a way to go and to have a college experience. No one should have to go through that. How did you manage your academics when you were being forced to deal with so much drama on the athletic side? I would say, I'm not going to lie, I, especially second semester, I skipped a lot of classes. Um, I had a lot of online classes, which was nice. It was a little bit easier for me to learn that way. And I would study for my tests and I would study really, really hard the night before, but I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of days that I just didn't go to class and because I was too exhausted. I was like, I can't do it. And I've always been an okay student. Um, not great, not terrible, but I can get by. I'm always mm-hmm. been pretty good at just getting by. So missing class was okay for me. It wasn't like a deal breaker, but there was a lot of times that I, I came home and I was like, I need a nap. I'm mentally just gone. And I haven't done anything physically today. People always talk about, oh, college athletes take naps every day. I took them because I was mentally exhausted. I didn't lift a weight for like three weeks and I was taking naps every day. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, it was an interesting experience. I know a lot of my teammates, their grades suffered for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I'm sure they were doing the same thing as me. I'm sure they weren't going to class. And, and I know that a lot of them, like we separated as a team as well. We stopped doing a lot of things together because everyone was just so exhausted by the end of the day. So when all of this started happening, Allie, and this has been an issue that, that I have brought up since my son's freshman year experience. But who did you go to for support? Was there anybody on campus that you felt like as a student athlete was there to support you and help you manage this discord on your team? So yes, there's there's a lot of resources that Mizzou and a lot of other schools will offer. So I know <laughs> it's actually funny. I know that 
basically my whole team was going to see um, the sports psychologist because we would go and one person would be coming out as we were going, <laughs> as we were going in and then the, it would rotate throughout the day. Um, and then also I did have somebody in the compliance office that I did feel comfortable talking to at one point and just kind of telling them just so they had a file of everything. Mm-hmm. However, towards the end of the year, that kind of seemed to be pushed on the back burner. But during the process, I felt as though I was being helped a lot from the compliance office. Um, And then honestly, just my roommate, we actually went into college not liking each other because we were on the same team. We were living together. It was kind of a competitive nature. We wanted to beat each other and we didn't like each other. And then when all of our experiences started matching up and everything started to kind of roll downhill, we were like, okay, we need each other. And now to this day, we're best friends. So it's just super funny how that works. But yeah, I definitely had some resources. And I think that I needed those resources because home was 12 hours away from me. Right. So I needed something to be able to cling to or help me out a little bit. So Yeah. And I mean, in that situation, you said, you know, in the closed door meetings, the assistant coach basically just sat there. She wasn't really participating so much in the conversations. So you kind of feel like, well, the coach is the one that I'm having an issue with. So obviously can't discuss this with him because when I bring it up, you know, it gets sidetracked into this other conversation about body image. that I'm not eating right, that I'm not putting in the work, that I'm not as good as somebody else on the team. The assistant coach isn't speaking up in those situations, so she's not a good resource for you. A lot of times the athletic directors are 100% behind the coaches. They're not looking out for the interests of the student athlete. They're looking out for their coaches. Which I so, did learn that the hard way, unfortunately. <laughs> right. And and I mean, this is, you know, a story that happens on campuses all over. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to find some support on campus. But I will say to those of you listening, whether you're a player or a parent, a lot of times the student athlete really does not have anyone on campus who is looking out for their best interest. And it's a really scary situation to find yourself in. And it's why I believe, and I am not a mental health professional, but I do believe that this is contributing a lot to the mental health issues that we're starting to hear more and more of from collegiate athletes. Um, There's just not anything in place to support them when they're having coach issues. If it's a teammate issue, a lot of times, you know, if it's a great coach, the coach can help kind of moderate that and, you know, fix it. But if it's a a player coach dispute or conflict, it's a lot harder to find somebody to support the student athlete. And yeah. And I actually, it's funny because when I was talking to the sports psychologist early, probably like October, my first two months there, she told me you need to transfer. Like, this isn't getting any better. And I was like, no, that's a last resort. We're not doing that. And then all my other teammates started going in and going in and going in. 
And I was like, oh no, this is, this, this might be, this might be actually what we're doing. I never thought that I would be the person that would transfer out of school. I just, mm-hmm. it wasn't in my future. I didn't picture it, which I guess nobody does. Right. But right. for me, I, she told me that and I was like, yeah, I'm going to put that off. And I did until the last month of school. So yeah. It's, but so I, you I, tried, you tried to oh, remedy the situation. A hundred percent. I did not want to leave Mizzou. I mean, I will still say like to this day, for those with listening, I love Mizzou as a school. It was great. People in the athletic departments were incredible. They helped as much as they could. Um, the compliance office and the athletic director are a little shaky, but the people that were the support system at Mizzou Athletics were incredible. And I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. Mm -hmm. So when you made that decision to go into the transfer portal, what type of opportunities did you find? So when I first went in, I had to kind of make a decision. All right. So I didn't play for a whole year. Um, And yeah, let me just clarify that. Um, He had told you you wouldn't be in the lineup your freshman year. And that that statement he held he held on to. And you did did not play. I did not play. No, I did not play. Um, I had two opportunities to play. Um, We had a girl quit and I could have played Florida and South Carolina um, at line six and three doubles. But he decided to forfeit the match instead of putting me in. Um, so we took an automatic, basically we were down to zero automatically. What was um, his reason for that? I, hang on a second. Cause that's, <laughs> I know, I know there's so much to uncover strange. here, but yes, he, there was never an explanation. That's, that's kind of the thing that I would say stinks about it because people ask me that all the time. They're like, why we don't understand. You're basically taking an automatic loss into Florida in South Carolina. You can't do that right? Um, to even have hope. And there was never a reason. And, and it stinks because I would love to give people a reason. I would love to have a reason, sure. but unfortunately I don't. And I don't think I ever will, but he just didn't want to do it. I think okay. it was an ego thing. I, I think that he didn't want to put non-scholarship players in the lineup. Um, Makes no sense. <laughs> I, I don't know. Then why have a full yeah. team, right? Right, What's right, point? right. But right. Anyways, so I did not play though, just to clarify, I did not play one match. Um, So kind of when I was going through the recruiting process after Mizzou, a lot of people were saying, you know, you didn't play. So again, I'm back in the situation where I didn't play and I don't have the results to prove anything. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the cycle is never going to end, is it? So I didn't even have any fall matches from Mizzou. Wow. We didn't even play any fall tournaments, which is just crazy. So I kind of started going around with smaller division one schools because I made the decision to myself that I could walk on somewhere again, like a big school and I could love it, but I could also have a similar experience as I did. Mm-hmm. And I decided at that point, I don't want to be a really small fish in a big pond. I want to be like medium in a medium pond, you know, (laughs) like I kind of want to be balanced. And, um, so 
I made the decision to look around. I looked at like Stetson and College of Charleston and kind of like your mid-major schools, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mercer. And I ended up just falling in love with Mercer because the coach was just the complete opposite of everything I had experienced this past year. So I was like, yep, we're going to go with that because clearly I did not like what happened this past year. So let's go for the opposite instead. So I'm going to assume that you had been to Mercer multiple times before you went in the transfer portal, having grown up in Atlanta and knowing how many tournaments are played there. um, I spent a lot of time on that campus. So you were familiar with the campus itself, but were you familiar with the coach and the other girls on the team? Or did you feel like you were really starting from scratch again, recruiting wise? Well, I would say to this day, I actually, funny enough, had never seen the campus. I'd only played at the the other site every time I'd grown up. I just never got the luck of the draw to play at Mercer. Okay. So I'd never seen the campus. I mean, driven by it and stuff, but I've never seen it. And so I was kind of like, what's in Macon? I mean, I know what's in Macon, but like, is it just tennis? I don't know. So we drove down there and I just honestly fell in love with it. It was much more beautiful than I thought it would be, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and the coach just was super encouraging about everything that I had gone through. And I told him in the office, I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really messed up mentally right now. Like I have got to find the love for tennis again. I've got to find the motivation. I know I can be good, but I just need a little push. And he was like, a hundred percent. I understand. And I want you anyways. And that was probably the biggest thing that made me just fall in love with Mercer altogether was he's, he was taking me as I was, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's really special. I don't think you find a lot of division one coaches that will take you as you are when it's not great. You know, I mean, it is a business, I get it, but not a lot of people are going to take you as you are when it's not bright and shiny. Well, so- and I will say in, in my experience with my son, it was very similar to what you're saying. Um, and I think there is a different mindset at the mid-major division one schools. It's more similar to the other divisions in college tennis where yes, it's still a business. And yes, of course the coaches want to win and need to win to keep their jobs, but the approach toward the student athletes seems to be a bit more compassionate at that level than at the power five schools. Right. So, and, and I'm speaking generally, so don't anybody like start <laughs> tweeting at me, but this coach, but the, I, I know there are exceptions, but my experience was very similar to what you're talking right. about. Yeah. And I mean, obviously I'm going into my sophomore year, so I still haven't experienced everything as a whole, but from just the way that recruiting went about, right? That this experience is much different than my experience with Mizzou. Everything's a lot more helpful. And like, I'm getting calls, like, how are you? I'm just checking in. And that's just so different. I mean, I probably didn't speak to Chris on the phone for the whole year that like I was recruited, which probably should have been red flag at first. Right. But you're, you're a junior tennis player. You're in love with the bright and shiny object that's sitting in front of you. That's sec tennis. And why would you not take it? Right. That's the best thing that anyone could ever offer. But when it comes to your overall happiness, 
I think not being treated as a business is the best thing for college athletes. Yeah. What are your expectations at Mercer this year? Honestly, after this past year at Mizzou, I'm going in with zero expectations. And I've kind of told myself that to make it (laughs) made it a priority for myself to go in and not say, oh, I'm going to play or I'm not going to play or it's going to be this incredible thing or or it's going to be terrible because more than likely it's going to be right in the middle for everything. I'll Mm -hmm. probably play a few times, probably sit out a few times. I'll probably, you know, have great days. And with like with everywhere, you're going to have bad days. Sure. So I'm kind of just going in with zero expectations because I went in to Mizzou with high expectations and came out with low. So we're just going to try and kind of start over. But I think the biggest thing for me and kind of what you were saying from the female side and then like the male side of what you were saying is, and this could be from the male side as well. I know you and I kind of talked about that the last time we had a zoom. I just feel like a lot of things from the female side of college athletics, not just in tennis, but in every sport is coaches get way too personal with their female athletes. And, and I mean that in a sense that I think they just get too invested in not their tennis or their Mm -hmm. fitness or their, you know, this, that, and the other. It's just interesting because as I've transitioned out of Mizzou home to my junior coach, which is Jason Parker, um, we were just kind of talking about how some of the questions that my college coach was asking me weren't even questions that my junior coach was asking me. And I've had a longstanding relationship with my junior coach. And it's just interesting because I think that they, again, the business mentality is that they own you. So they Mm -hmm. get to know and they get to control every aspect about your entire life, who you're friends with, what you're doing on your free time, different things like that, where it's not just focused on the tennis where it really should be. If it is a business relationship, it should just be tennis, tennis, tennis. And if you yell at me about my tennis, I'm completely fine with that, to be honest, because I understand I need to be better. But when you take it outside of the tennis ballpark and you start kind of like trickling down all these other little paths, I think that's where the biggest thing is hurting probably female and male students Mm -hmm. across the country. So do you have friends that are playing for female college coaches? I actually do. I have um, one great friend from Atlanta who actually just transferred, but was playing for a um, female coach at Michigan state for tennis. And are you hearing similar things? I'm just curious if this is something that goes on between male coaches and female athletes, or if it also goes on between female coaches and female athletes. I think it has to do, I don't think it matters. I think it's with both. I think it's with female coaches and female players and male coaches and female players. Um, And I think a lot of it, maybe if I were to just take a guess has to do with people feel like they need to have an emotional like attachment to female players, because Mm -hmm. I feel like that's how females are female athletes are typically drawn in. Right. It's like through somebody caring about me and all these different little things. And so I think that they try to do that and then it just gets really messy and really dirty and it backfires because they become too invested. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, I, I do have 
a friend who had a female coach and it was the exact same thing. Just things got too personal. Like, why are you asking one of my teammates about her parents' income? That's none of your business. Yeah. And how like you're, you're supposed to be my tennis coach. Like let's keep it tennis related. Yeah. Just little things like that. Yeah. And I, I, the reason I'm asking that is because I, I often hear, you know, well, the solution is more female coaches. And while I would love to see more female coaches out there, it's not the solution. It, it may be a step toward the solution, but it, in and of itself, the gender of the coach isn't the determining factor of a positive versus a not positive experience. Right. And, and I think it's important for people to hear that. Um, so, okay. So you're going to Mercer, you're going in with just an open mind. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, you know, keep my head down, do what's asked of me. And hopefully you're going to have 180 degree different type of experience this coming year. (laughs) Have you met your future teammates? Have you started, you know, talking with them? Do you have relationships with them yet? Yes. So I have um, contacted a few of the girls on the female side um, and we've been talking a lot and I'm super excited to kind of move in. And get going with them. Um, one of my best friends, actually, who I've grown up training with, Andrew Bernicki, is on the men's team at Mercer. And so I he's kind of also the reason I was looking into Mercer. And he was like, it's going to be fine, Allie. I'll take you around. So I'm a little bit excited because I'll have like a built-in friend already yeah. that can kind of just show me the show me the ropes and get me comfortable. So it'll be exciting for sure. Yeah, Andrew, it's so funny. Um, his sister's been playing in national hard courts yeah, out she's here. Been doing really well. Yeah, too. yeah, she had a good tournament. So um too funny. Um, our our worlds keep intersecting. I know. <laughs> um, so when do you go to school? It's gotta be soon, yeah. Yes, I leave to go to school next Friday. So I'm moving the 19th. And are you gonna live on campus? I live right across from campus. Um at like a apartment building. And do you have a roommate? I do. I have three. So I kind of came in late. Everything got set up really late because I didn't commit to Mercer until like three weeks ago. (laughs) So I'm a little late on everything, but so I'm living with, um, three basketball girls. So I've talked to them as well and they're super nice. So and I think, you know, it's nice to not live with your tennis teammates. It's nice right. to have that break um, so that the conversation isn't all tennis all the time. You, all the time. And yes. I think it it could be educational and refreshing to be with other sport athletes and learn what their experience is like. You know, I right. think there will be a lot of similarities and, and a lot of differences. Does Mercer have your major? Are you going to be able to continue your your journalism studies? So they do have journalism, but it's a little bit on a lesser scale and it's not so much sports broadcasting or sports journalism. So I'm actually going to switch it up a bit. I'm doing um, sports marketing and analytics as a major with a minor in journalism. 
All right. Well, I mean, listen, the analytics and the marketing can only help you as a journalist. Right. We we yes. know how data focused journalism, especially sports journalism is. And right. uh, that sounds like a great plan. I'm yeah. really excited for you. I hope you'll check in with us again, maybe midway through the semester, we can do a follow-up podcast and hear how things are going tennis-wise, academically, socially, because let's face it, the college athlete experience, you are called a student athlete, not an athlete student. So the student part has to be front and center. That means your academics, that means your campus involvement, that means your social life. So all of those pieces need to be in place as well as the athletic side, you know, having a coach that you trust and respect, having teammates that you trust and respect, and having that team culture that fits what you want and need out of your college experience. So I'm super excited for you, Allie. Congratulations on sticking to your guns and making things happen for yourself that put you in a better position to realize your dream of getting to play college tennis and continue developing as a player. And I Mercer's lucky to have you. They are really lucky to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so, I'm so thankful that we were able to do this today and kind of share my story a little bit. And obviously my story isn't the end all be all for all division one colleges, but I knew that when you were doing your podcast, that my story was worth hearing from another side because I was that kid that only wanted to play SEC tennis and there was I was going to be a failure if not right right and I'm also the same person coming out of it saying trust me you you matter more than just being an SEC tennis player so I'm super excited and I'm super thankful that we were able to do this today For sure. Well, Allie, thank you. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.